0: Hi guys, today is just a short Express episode that follows on from the previous episode that we've done on the pill. And I'd encourage you to go back and have a listen to that one first if you haven't already, because we cover a lot of content and a lot of different issues surrounding the pill in that episode. Uh, And just to clarify, we are talking specifically about the combined pill in this episode again today. So that's the pill that contains two hormones. We will cover the progesterone only pill or mini pill later down the track. Now, the purpose of this Express episode is just to answer a few more questions that you guys have sent in via Instagram because we very happily received quite a lot about the pill. So just on that, I guess if you do have any further questions or even topic suggestions or anything else that you think it would be useful for our community to discuss, please feel free to reach out on Instagram or we also have a Facebook group. So the first question uh, just says, what do I do if I miss a pill? And this is a really excellent question. And I often find that people don't know the answer to this, even if they've been on the pill for many, many years. So basically, if you've missed a pill, you need to work out how long it's been since you took your last pill, because it's very different what you need to do if it's been less than 24 hours or over 24 hours. So By that, what I'm saying is less than 24 hours since you've missed a pill. So less than 48 hours since you last took a pill. So just to make that a bit more obvious because it does get a bit confusing when you can't kind of think of specific times in your head. um, Let's take an example of somebody who takes their pill at 7 a.m. every single day. So you take it at 7 a.m. on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. But then on Thursday, it gets to four o'clock in the afternoon and you realize that you forgot to take it at 7am on that day. So, this 24-hour rule basically is, are you within 24 hours since the missed pill? And in this situation, you would be because it's you normally take it at 7am, Uh, and you realize at 4 p.m. So that's obviously less than 24 hours overdue uh, and less than 48 hours since your previous pill. And in this situation, basically all you need to do is to take the pill at 4 p.m. when you realize that it's been missed or as soon as you can. So maybe you're at uni or at work or whatever, and you realize that you forgot to take it that morning, just take it as soon as you can when you get home, and that's fine. Because it's within that 24 hours, basically, you will continue to have the contraceptive effect and you don't need to actually do anything in addition. And in this situation, people might find that they end up taking two pills in one day. So say you forgot even later and it was maybe 6 a.m. the following day, so still within that 24-hour window, you might take yesterday's pill at 6am and then another one at 7am for the next day. So just so that you're aware within that 24 hours, you are safe and the contraceptive effect does continue. I guess the alternative scenario to think about is if your pill is more than 24 hours late. So if it's been more than 48 hours since you took a pill. So again, using this example of somebody that takes it every day at 7am, maybe say you took it 7am monday tuesday wednesday you forgot to take it thursday and then you go to take your pill on friday and that's when you realize and say it's just after your normal time so it might be 8am on friday you realize you go to take your friday pill but you realize that thursday's pill is still in the packet now this is a little bit different in terms of what you need to do ideally you just take the pill that you've missed as soon as possible and the pill for that day. So in this situation you would take both pills at once and you really need to use condoms for seven days in this situation just for that additional contraceptive effect because there is the risk that you could ovulate. Some additional things to think about in this situation, if you're in the first week of a pill packet when you miss a pill and don't realize for over 24 hours, so you've had less than seven tablets in that packet, uh, you, you should really consider taking emergency contraception as well. And depending on which type of emergency contraception you use, there are some additional caveats in terms of what you need to do there with your ongoing pill, but we'll probably cover that in detail in the emergency contraception episode Uh, And the other thing to think about is that if you're in the last seven days of your pill packet, so the last seven active pills I'm talking about, then it's best to run your pill packs together. So rather than having the seven sugar pills, you should run them together. So start the next pill pack immediately. And again, that's just to reduce the risk that you will ovulate. This next question is a really excellent one too. It just says, what is the risk of clotting? And this is something that the pill gets quite a lot of attention for, I guess, in the media and uh, just, I suppose, in general discussion about the pill. And there is good reason for that. So we do know that combined pills do increase the risk of clotting by two to three times that of non-users. So someone who's on the pill versus someone who's not on the pill, there is a higher risk of clotting in people. are using the pill. I guess what's important to think about is what actually does that risk look like on a practical level. And we know that even for young reproductive age women who use the pill, even though they have a higher risk than baseline, uh, their absolute risk of clotting is quite low. So your individual risk of clotting is obviously a different thing when we're talking about a specific person versus the population in general. So I guess your your individual risk of clotting will depend on you know what other medications you take, what, what your medical history is like, your family history, and other things like whether you've been on long-haul flights or if you've had a recent surgery or been immobilized for, for a long period of time. So there are other things that can contribute to this risk. I suppose to help you understand what your risk of clotting is while on the pill, It's kind of helpful to know, I guess, that pill users compared to people not on the pill, yes, they have a high risk of clotting, but their risk actually remains lower than people in, say, for example, the third trimester of pregnancy or in the weeks just after giving birth. And that's a risk that many people take all the time with pregnancy. Just to further clarify, I guess, what your what your actual risk is. These are just some stats from a family planning New South Wales textbook, which is just called Contraception and Australian Clinical Practice Handbook Edition 4. Uh, and basically, they've said that for the average reproductive age woman who isn't pregnant and not on the pill, there's about two cases per 10,000 of getting a clot, And when we talk about clot, we are talking about things like DVT, so clots in the leg, and they can flick off emboli to the lung and we call those PEs or pulmonary embolisms. So yeah, about 2 in 10,000 for the average woman not on the pill. And then when we compare that to the kind of most common types of pill that contain the hormones levonorgestrel or norethisterone, it's about five to seven cases per 10,000. And the NuvaRing is about six to 12 cases per 10,000. The higher risk pills, and I'm sorry, this is probably a bit boring for you if you don't know your exact ingredient of the pill, but there are some that do carry a slightly higher risk. uh, And these are the ones that contain drospirinone, desigestidine and desogestrel, and they are about 9 to 12 cases per 10,000. So as you can see, yes, there is an increased risk of clotting, but overall it remains quite low. And obviously, you just need to take into consideration your personal medical history and situation when deciding whether or not the pill is appropriate for you. So the next question says, what happens if I take the pill and I'm pregnant, but I don't know? And certainly this is not that uncommon because we know the pill has reasonably high typical failure rates and a a 91% efficacy in real life situations. You know, people do find themselves in this situation. And if you fall pregnant while taking the pill, naturally, you're not necessarily going to know about it straight away, and you may continue to take your pill in the early stages of pregnancy. So what I would just say to that is the pill is contraindicated in pregnancy. So certainly, we don't want to be prescribing it in women who we know are pregnant. Uh, But for these situations where it's taken inadvertently, it's categorized as pregnancy category B3. Now, because pregnancy is a very specific kind of physiological situation, uh, we... Classify all medications regarding to what the according to what their risk is to a pregnancy, because obviously we're taking into consideration not only uh, the woman but also uh, an embryo or fetus, depending on what stage of pregnancy, and so. Category B3, this includes drugs which have been taken only by a limited number of pregnant women, and there hasn't been an increase in the frequency of malformations or other direct or indirect harmful effects on the human fetus. So, in general, you should be not too concerned, is the short story. Obviously, you should stop taking the pill as soon as possible when you realise but yeah, at the end of the day, there haven't been any significant malformations or anything that can be attributed to the taking the pill in early pregnancy. So the next question says, which version of the pill can you take while breastfeeding? And this is another excellent question. And there's actually been a bit of change in what's been recommended around this over the years. One of the important things to consider is that we know pregnant women and women for the, in the six weeks following birth are naturally at an increased risk of clotting and as we've already discussed the pill also increases the risk of clotting so that's one of the main things that comes into this discussion about being a bit cautious about use of of the combined pill in women who have just had a baby so I guess doctors are quite selective about who they would start the pill in for particularly the six weeks following birth. If you're not breastfeeding and you don't have any other risk factors for clotting or anything else that means you can't go on the pill, then we know that it's safe to start from about six weeks. If you are breastfeeding, uh, there's now pretty good evidence that the pill doesn't affect the duration or success of breastfeeding. So, Women used to be counseled that they shouldn't be on the combined pill at all. I think that used to be the recommendation while they're breastfeeding because there was discussion that it would reduce the milk supply or how successful breastfeeding would be. But that's not so true anymore. There's basically evidence that if you're breastfeeding within that first six weeks of giving birth, the pill is contraindicated, the combined pill. But after that six-week mark, generally for most people, the benefits of being on the pill do outweigh the risks. Uh, And certainly after the six-month mark, if you're still breastfeeding at that point, there shouldn't be any restriction at all then uh, because your, your risk of clotting and all of that stuff has pretty much returned to normal. Just another note on that, there's not required to be any contraception in the first 21 days after giving birth. However, doctors often do encourage you to start some type of contraception prior to leaving hospital or wherever you've had your baby. And that's largely because with a newborn baby, you know, life is pretty hectic. So um, it's often good to start something before you leave hospital. The mini pill is something that is often used Uh, for women who are breastfeeding because it doesn't carry that same risk of clotting. So for some individuals, you might be encouraged to start on the mini pill for those first six weeks while your clotting risk still remains high. And then if you prefer, you can transition to a combined pill or some people might just find that they're happy to continue on the same mini pill. And just for reference, the mini pill is the progesterone-only pill, so uh, it doesn't have any estrogen, and that's why it doesn't have the same clotting risk as the combined pill. Next question says, how is absorption of the pill affected by illness, both acute and chronic? Now, I guess just briefly for your benefit, if you're not sure what these two terms mean – Acute, basically, in medical <laughs> circles, is it doesn't mean severe. So, I, f- I think in the general communities, there's this thought that acute means severe, but what it actually means is uh, it's a short term or recent diagnosis, whereas chronic means that it's been going on for some time. And the exact time frame kind of depends on what exact pathology you're talking about. So, yeah, that's kind of the difference. Is it a new short Lived illness, or is it a chronic, potentially lifelong thing? And this is quite a niche question, actually. So, in terms of an acute illness, a good example is gastro. So, if you've got really bad nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and you're taking the pill, uh, basically, we encourage you to continue taking your pill as normal. But just keep in the back of your mind that if you vomit or have severe diarrhea within two hours of taking your pill, you should follow the guidelines that I discussed before about missed pill guidelines. So basically, yeah, within two hours of a dose, severe diarrhea or vomiting, we basically have to work off the assumption that you've not really had that dose because you may have vomited up or not absorbed it. In terms of the chronic illness side of things this is uh, a question that has a lot more breadth and so it's a bit more difficult to comment on but I guess what I would say that some individuals with certain chronic illnesses may find that the absorption of the pill is not ideal so this is particularly true for any malabsorption chronic illnesses and so in these people, I guess it just is a very nuanced conversation with your doctor about what your exact, what your exact uh, chronic illness is, what the chance that this will affect absorption of the pill, and whether or not an alternative option may be uh, better for you. Uh, this question just says, which one is best? Uh, and basically, this is a tricky one to answer. There's not really a black and white answer. Uh, it depends on so many things I guess particularly what you're looking for from the pill and what your particular situation is so in general the combined pills they're all pretty equally effective so if it's just a question of which one is going to prevent pregnancy the best it's you know kind of neither here nor there it's more about just finding one that suits you so yeah all pretty effective and it's just down to you to take it correctly from that point of view I guess which one is best might also mean which one has the least side effects. And again, we tend to group them together when we're discussing side effects because we know between all the different combined pills, they have very similar side effect profiles. Uh, But that said, there's also a lot of variation between individuals. So. Just because one person experienced breast tenderness on levlen doesn't mean that everyone will. And, you know, there's so many caveats to that, that I can't really say this particular pill is better than all the rest. Other things, I guess, that might come into that is, you know, some people think that the lower dose pills are better. And I guess... From a general side effect point of view, that might be true. But with the lower dose pills, we do tend to see more breakthrough bleeding. So it's really just about, yeah, what's going to suit your lifestyle best. Next question says, is the pill safer than the newer contraceptive options? And... My short answer to that is not necessarily. Uh, The pill has been available in Australia since 1961, I think. And interestingly, at that point in time, it was only available, I think, to married women. And you couldn't actually access it for contraception. You had to say that it was for cycle control. Uh, Happily, there's much fewer restrictions on who can... uh, use the pill now but back then the pill was much less safe so uh, the hormone doses were significantly higher than they are now and people experience complications and side effects much more commonly so the pills that we have today are much safer than the pills that we had back then and for the average well young person it is a very safe option However, I guess these questions always need to be tailored to the individual. So yeah, it's again, not that easy just to comment that one is safer than the other. For example, the marina will be much safer for somebody who has a history of clotting disorders or experiences migraine with aura. So there are specific situations where it's quite obvious that one's going to be safer than the other, um, but that's usually due to individual circumstances. Next question says, since starting the pill, I've been getting breakthrough bleeding and spotting, is this normal? And I guess with this question, so any abnormal bleeding, it's always important to check if anything else could be causing it. So obviously this depends on your personal risk. Um, It's important to have an STI check because things like chlamydia are really common causes of abnormal bleeding. Always want to exclude a pregnancy if you're having unscheduled bleeding uh, so you can do a urine test yourself or uh, go see your your GP when you're having your STI screen done they can do it all together uh, and the other important thing to consider is whether or not your pap smears are all up to date. if all of that is done and normal uh, it may be that the pill is the cause of your breakthrough bleeding and spotting I guess one of the important things to do is to make sure that you're taking the pill correctly. That's one of the really common reasons for a pill-induced breakthrough bleeding. So if you're, you know, instead of taking it every 24 hours, you're kind of oscillating between, you know, 18 hours to 36 hours to 48 to, you know, that is obviously going to affect your hormone (laughs) regulation. So you're more likely to fall pregnant, first of all, but also uh, there is a higher risk of breakthrough bleeding If you are taking it correctly, it may just be one of those early um, side effects that will regulate with time. So a bit of breakthrough bleeding, particularly in the first three months of using the pill is quite common. So if everything else is normal and you know you're not pregnant, there's no STI, it may just be a matter of persisting with it for a couple of months to see if it settles down. Alternatively, it may be because of the type of pill that you're on. So... As I've kind of already touched on, some of the pills with a lower level of estrogen in particular, they are more likely to cause bleeding side effects. So you could move to one that has a slightly higher dose. Uh, If you're already on the higher dose pill, it might be worth trying a different pill altogether just to see uh, if that helps. So you might want to try one that has a different type of progesterone, but your doctor will be able to you about that and what your options are so the next question says i have heard the pill increases your risk of cancer is this true and that's an excellent question Uh, the short answer is actually no we we know that pill users compared to non-pill users actually have a lower overall risk of cancer specific cancers that they have a reduced risk of are cancer of the ovary cancer of the colon which is like bowel cancer and also endometrial cancer and that's cancer of the lining of the womb or uterus Uh, next question my gp told me to take the pill to help with period pain but i hate what it does to my mental health I have tried a few, Levelin being the worst and coming off it, my mind is better, but my pain is worse. Is there a recommended pill to help with period pain, but doesn't F up your mood slash make you gain weight? Again, unfortunately, the short answer is no. There's not a specific pill that we say, oh, that's the period pain pill or that's the pill that's better in mental health or that's the pill for acne. Like there's not any hard and fast rules We do know that other types of contraceptives can help with period pain though. So it might be just a simple, you know, thinking about what other alternatives might be out there that are less likely to uh, interfere with your mental health. So something like the marina, for example. And the other option, I guess, would be just to continue that trial and error with the combined pill to see if there is something that kind of hits that sweet spot where it doesn't mess up your mental health, but does control your pain. Um, Obviously, you don't want to be doing that for months and years on end, though. So I guess if you've already cycled through a few different types, I would be encouraging you to consider other types of um, contraceptives that that do help regulate period pain but may have a a lower chance of implicating in mental health. Last question we probably have time for is why can some people not have the pill? And basically with any medication, we avoid using it in anyone who we believe the risks outweigh the benefits. With contraception, we use something called the MET criteria that basically is a guideline to help us work out where you are situated. So will the risks outweigh the benefits? There are some things that we know the risks with the pill are too high. So we won't prescribe the pill for people who have a history of clots in the leg or lung, uh, because as we've talked about, we know that those people are predisposed to clots, but also the pill increases that risk again. People who have had strokes or mini strokes, people who have a history of migraine with aura, Uh, And certain types of heart disease, people who have active breast cancer, uh, some severe liver disease, and there's individuals on certain medications that we don't encourage pill use in either. So, yeah, it's basically because we're we're selective with every medication that we want the, the benefits to outweigh the risks. So that's why some people can't have it. So thank you guys so much for listening. I hope that answered the bulk of the questions if there is anything further you would like to chat about as i said at the start of the episode please feel free to join our facebook group we can chat there bye you to you you to me you to us is a podcast for general discussion only nothing we talk about should be taken as personal medical advice and does not substitute information or instructions given to you by your own doctor If the podcast raises any questions or concerns for you, please see your GP, sexual health, or family planning clinic. For general discussion, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. And please, stop trusting strangers on the internet with your health. This podcast is a production of Simo Interactive, home of the My Millennial Money podcast.